The military services are rethinking the role of their chief information officers. The Air Force and the Navy are both in the midst of either studying or implementing changes to how they handle IT governance. In some ways, they're similar to one another. In some ways, they're quite different. But in both cases, they diverge from the model the military services have used for much of the past 25 years. Federal News Network's Jared Serbu and Jason Miller join me to talk about the changes and what they mean. Jared, let's start with you. What are the boxes that are moving in the organization charts at the Navy and the Air Force? Yeah, well, I would say basically since the creation of, of CIOs in the Klinger-Cohen Act back in 1996, there was kind of an obvious place to house that CIO function in the military services because they had had, you know, we've, we've had this, since Napoleonic times, we've had this structure in the military services where there's a very senior general in charge of various things. So the one in charge of personnel, the two in charge of intelligence, the six in charge of signals or communications. So that six slot was a logical place to put the CIO, and that's kind of the way it's been up until now, but the Air Force and the Navy, have, as you said, have started to move away from that structure. And, and I'll, I'll just talk briefly about the Air Force here. They've made a couple of big changes in just the last several months. One is splitting that CIO function away from their A6 in that case, and then combining the A6 with the A2. And then in turn, the CIO function goes to a civilian, in this case, a very senior civilian, the Undersecretary of the Air Force, Matt Donovan. Meanwhile, over on the Navy side, they've actually done a very similar thing by uh, granting the CIO authority to their undersecretary. That happened uh, early early last year. And in the meantime, the, 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 Navy, the Navy Department's a little bit more of a complicated beast because obviously it's got two military services within it, but they ended up delegating a lot of the CIO authorities that were held at the department level down to the N2N6, in the case of the Navy, and the CIO of the Marine Corps. And then the Navy is now starting to rethink that particular approach, and they've, they've started kicking around this idea of creating an assistant secretary position that would handle what they, what, what they would term it information management. And Navy Secretary Richard Spencer has talked about that, including everything from cybersecurity and data hygiene to cloud management and data readiness and data management. And so I would say that the commonality that you see between the Navy and the Air Force approaches here is a, they're trying to elevate those traditional CIO functions up to as high a level as they can and still make it relatively manageable. And two, they're trying to integrate data and traditional IT management under one umbrella because they see them as so integral to one another and so sure. interrelated. The obvious question, of course, is do you dilute those functions by putting them under someone who is so senior as the undersecretary of the service rather than giving these to a specialist who focuses on IT and data issues full time? And Jason, you've been following the 809 panel's recommendations for military procurement. Does the 809 panel talk about organization to improve procurement and how does what is happening with these CIO functions tie in with 809? There's a whole section on IT and procurement in the 809 panel. And, and what's interesting is, you know, these recommendations are for the Department of Defense and they were mandated by Congress. And in under Section 3, in case you're keeping score at home, one of the recommendations, again, number 44, it would exempt DOD from the Klinger Cohen Act provisions in Title 40. Now, I had to look up Title 40 because I'm like, what's the provisions in Title 40? And it's the entire Klinger Cohen Act. Now, why this is important for what, and this relates, I think, to what Jared says is by exempting the entire effort, the entire law from DOD really flies in the face of the spirit and the intent, which is who's the belly button to push to be in charge of these 
really important issues. And again, this is 22 years ago. The issues are only more important today than they were 22 years ago. At the same time, and, and Jared, I think this is what's interesting about what's happening at the Air Force and the Navy is they're saying, no, these are so important, we're going to bring it up to the undersecretary position. But I think that has shown over the years, not necessarily at DOD, but within other agencies, is when you give somebody like an undersecretary multiple hats. And, you know, and we've seen this over, for instance, at the Labor Department. At one point, they had an assistant secretary for management who was both the CIO, the chief procurement officer, the chief human capital officer, the chief privacy officer. They're the chief of nothing if they're the chief of everything. And I think that this 809 panel recommendation, as it relates to what we're seeing, is should be could be very worrisome to many in the community by saying, OK, well, if the CIO is that important, why are you raising it to such a level where the person really can't get really much done except for the very highest levels of, of issues and, and they won't really get into the weeds, which is many times what you need a CIO to do. And to Jason's point, you know, I think there's a, there's a sweet, spot, sweet spot here, right? Because there's a balancing act between empowering the CIO and making sure that the CIO is able to focus on the issues that you want he or she to focus on. And it seems like Congress lately has been trying to push all federal agencies more in the direction of empowerment and reporting directly to the agency head. So I think, again, the question is, um, you know, you're basically making the agency head the, the CIO if it's the undersecretary. And maybe that's a little too far up the chain, but I don't think we have enough experience with it yet to know whether or not that's the case. We're speaking with Federal News Network's Jared Serbu and Jason Miller. And I guess we should maybe mention FITARA because that was trying to give the budgetary authority to the CIOs, at least on the civilian side. And Jared, I imagine budget authority along with CIO authorities really go hand in hand on DOD also. You bet. And so that would that's certainly something you would get in the case where the undersecretary of the military service is the CIO. It's also a direction that Congress has been pushing the Department of Defense level CIO toward lately. So these changes actually just took effect in January, where as of now, the DOD CIO has the authority to go and look through every single one of the military services budgets to, for example, make sure that they're spending an adequate amount to make sure that the cybersecurity policies that the DOD CIO itself has has directed are actually are actually funded uh, it, making sure there's adequate money in those budgets to take care of all of those needs one of the things that was highlighted for, by the section 809 panel one of the reasons why they recommended exempting DOD from the clinger cohen act provisions is because there is this if you will push for you have uh, an undersecretary or, or a deputy secretary or an assistant secretary for uh, research development. You have one for sustainment. You have one for engineering. And then you have procurement. And the DOD CIO, in, in, in case of, let's say, the Army or the Navy or the Air Force, are sometimes caught in the middle between these other assistant secretaries and these other positions of power that, hey, I have the procurement budget or I have the ability to do O&M on big systems. And IT is no longer just an IT system. It's always connected to something bigger. And I think that's part of the reason why I think the Section 809 panel said, do we really need a CIO as it exists today? And maybe there's kind of an evolution that needs to happen. And maybe the Air Force and the Navy are are recognizing that evolution with these changes. Yes, because Jared in DOD, you've got the connection to the weapons systems, which are basically flying, rolling and diving IT platforms. 
Yeah, and I think that's going to be something really interesting to watch as these changes play out. Because as as we said earlier, historically, the the you know the CIO has been someone who is also a deputy chief of staff uh, for for the military service, representing the service chief's interest at the same time that they're playing that Klinger Cohen CIO role. Now that at least in the case of the Air Force, that's a bifurcated relationship where you have this A two A six on the military staff side, and then you have a very senior civilian CIO. It's going to be interesting. To to see how they start to change and start to rethink about how they develop their IT requirements, how, how they enforce those IT requirements, how they continue to advocate and, and sponsor resources in, in pursuit of those systems when you've got, again, that, that sort of bifurcated relationship with the CIO role represented by a senior civilian and then the traditional military staff functions represented uh, on, on another side of the fence. And final question, Jared, is this something that was ordered by one of the NDAAs or is the are the services doing this on their own. It's not. They are doing it on their own, and we should mention the Army has really made no changes whatsoever. They're still in the traditional position where they have the CIO and G6 vested in one individual, Lieutenant General Bruce Crawford in this case. I should also mention that if the Navy goes ahead with this decision to appoint an assistant secretary for information management, it would have to make some other kind of tough choices in its organizational chart because they're limited by Congress as to how many different assistant secretaries they can have. Congress has told them exactly who several of their assistant secretaries need to be. For example, they have to have an assistant secretary for research development and acquisition and and three other things. So their only options would be ask Congress for another assistant secretary slot or take that away from their one optional one, which is the Assistant Secretary for Installations, Energy, and Environment. Federal News Network's Jared Serbu and Jason Miller, thank you both. Thank you. Thanks, Tom. Check out their ongoing coverage at federalnewsnetwork.com. Want your business to have the best opportunity for success? Take a tip from tech industry leader Intel when you move or expand in Ohio. The new Silicon Heartland is the place forward-thinking business leaders find ample talent, a highly ranked business climate, convenient central location, plus an especially low-risk environment for site selection. Where else can you have all the room you need to grow while rubbing elbows with the giants in your industry? Visit successinohio.com today.